Hi, this is Scott Cantrell. Welcome to the special training, Secrets of Frictionless Selling. I'm really excited to be able to present this uh, to you all today because I believe that what we're going to go over today are key areas and issues for any salesperson, educator, consultant, advisor that they can take and immediately use. They're very, very practical uh, considerations, especially when you're in the midst of a sales process and you're trying to move it forward. So today we're going to talk about, again, the secrets of frictionless communication and selling, specifically controlling the conversation, the three C's for effective sales conversations, and the KOR model for handling objections. Finally, we'll go over some frictionless selling talk tracks. So let's begin with this idea of controlling the conversation. Now, I'm going to move fast, um, but hopefully you'll all get the main ideas. Take notes where you can and go back and watch areas that you may want to review. When it comes to controlling the conversation, what we're really talking about is controlling the sales process. Because if you can control the conversation you're having with a given prospect, then you're going to control the sales process. If you can control the sales process, you're putting yourself uh, you're putting the odds in your own favor of converting that prospect into a client. So how does this work? Nothing earth shattering here, but all very important. Think of what you're seeing on the screen as sort of a checklist in terms of not only do you do these things, but how well and how consistently do you do these things? So number one, start with why. It's important that you establish the expectation of any particular sales conversation. You are the one to set the objective and the goal. You're the one that needs to let the prospect know, you know, at the end of our call today, I hope uh, we can achieve this goal or my expectation for this call is or the goal that I have for our conversation today is you set the objective and the goal. In, in terms of my conversations with my prospects, I always talk in terms of overlapping or identifying where the overlap is between my solution and value and that prospect's challenge or opportunity. And the goal of the conversation is simply to identify if there is a meaningful overlap. And if there is, it'll make sense for us to continue the conversation. Whatever your objective or goal is, Make sure that you are the one stating it to the prospect and that they agree that that is a worthy objective or goal. If they have other objectives or goals, you can certainly ask, you know, do you have any other objectives or goals for this conversation? And if they do, they'll add them to the list. But you're the one that's leading. You're the one controlling. Next, tell them the what. That is, outline the discussion. What are you going to talk about? This gets to the point of why an agenda for any sales meeting or sales conversation, why an agenda, a actual physical printed agenda, or at least a PDF version of the agenda that you email in advance, this gets to why that is so important. Because you want to be the one outlining what you're going to talk about. You don't want to leave it to the whims and wherefores of the prospect. They only know what they know. You're the advisor. You're the consultant. So the intellect, the education needs to come from your end. They can always add things to your agenda and that's perfectly fine. But you want to be the one that leads them through the key bullets, the key talking points that you need to talk about in order to lead them where they want to go in order for you to solve their problem. So you outline the discussion and say, you know, we've talked about what our objective is. The things we're going to talk about today are X, Y, and Z. And the more clearly you can have those things outlined in an agenda form, the better it will serve you. Finally, you want to explain the how. Share your process. How do you help 
or how are you going to help that client achieve his or her goals or their organization's goals? So share your process. And when I talk about process, I'm talking about how you engage a prospect or a client. So call it a strategic client process or, or whatever. But during that first conversation, especially, you want to outline how your process is going to go. So uh, let's role play for a second. Mr. and Mrs. Prospect, uh, our goal for this conversation is to determine if there's an overlap between where you have challenges and opportunities and where I can potentially bring value and solutions. If there's a clear overlap, it'll make sense to move to the second step of our process. During the second step of our process, we'll do a more deep dive analysis of your situation to not only determine, um, you know, once we know the overlap, now it's time to determine the size and scope of that overlap. So that's the goal of meeting two. After that, it'll make sense whether we should formally engage with one another or not. So the point is you want to walk the prospect through your process. Again, having a visual form of your process, a physical or PDF version of your process that you can show them or present to them is always beneficial. Finally, the key to controlling the conversation is knowing where you're going next. If you don't have a specific destination in mind for what you want to achieve and where you want to go next, you will be left, again, to the whims of the prospect, and they will take you where they want to go, which usually is not the same place. Uh, they may take you down rabbit holes, or they may ask you technical questions that aren't important yet before you get to that part of the process, or they may take you nowhere, which is worse. So you always want to know the next step of your process and be able to communicate that clearly to your prospect. Next, I want to talk about the three C's for effective sales conversations. And these are them on the screen. You can see that they this is a Venn diagram. They do overlap. Uh, the idea is, is that if you don't have a high level of competence, and when I'm talking about competence, I'm referring to whatever the thing is you're selling, your products, your services. You need to know about them. You need to be able to speak intelligently about them. You need to be able to explain how those products and services actually solve problems for your client and create meaningful results and outcomes. I'm going to assume you have that level of competence. In terms of what we're talking about today in this training, I'm hopefully going to shore up your confidence related to your sales conversation. And that's the second area of competence that's so critical. You have to be competent in terms of your products and services, but you also have to be competent in terms of the sales process that you're leading the prospect through. You want to have a high level of competency there. Next, you want to be comfortable. Right? You want to make sure that you're comfortable in your own skin presenting the products and services. You want to make sure you're comfortable throughout the sales process. And finally, you've got to be able to communicate clearly. You don't want to ramble. You don't want to um, use bad examples. You don't want to say things that are confusing. You know, A confused mind does not take action. The other axiom is that a confused mind does not buy. So you want to be crystal clear with your process and what comes next and what you're communicating to a given prospect at a given time. Let's break these down even more. Let's start with the comfortability. So if you're not comfortable, the prospect will perceive that. That will make them uncomfortable. And that is not conducive to a successful uh, sales process. So you've got to be comfortable. And that doesn't mean that there's zero anxiety. It doesn't mean that there's zero stress. It means that you're managing that anxiety and that stress comfortably. It means that you're at ease. It means that overall you're relaxed. You're not jittery. You're not super nervous. And the best ways to uh, be comfortable when it comes to your sales process 
is to understand that nothing bad's really going to happen. You know, for the vast majority of us, if a prospect doesn't buy our thing, nobody's going to get hurt physically. Nobody's going to die, right? Um, uh, the reality is, as long as we keep things in perspective, now it doesn't devalue what you're bringing to the client, right? If you're selling them health care, if you're selling them, um, you know, a medical solution, then yes, obviously you do have a high obligation to make sure they make the best decision for themselves. But the reality is you've got to understand that in the vast majority of instances, nothing bad's really going to happen if the cell closes or if the cell doesn't close, right? It just is. So accept the fact that the worst case scenario ain't that bad. Take the pressure off of yourself. Um, again, it doesn't mean you should feel zero pressure. It means that the pressure shouldn't get in the way of you being at ease and relaxed and comfortable during the sales process. Understand that prospects are people. You are not selling to an organization, even if the organization is the one to become your client. You're selling to another individual. You're selling to another human being, another person. The prospects are that, you're, that you talk to, they're people. They have the same hopes and desires and, and concerns and considerations and worries that you do as a rule. They're people. So talk to them like they're another person. Be, be casual. Don't be too formal. Um, and again, that goes to being relaxed. And of course, the best way to be comfortable is to be prepared, right? Know that you have the answer. Know your stuff. Know what, what your objective is for that conversation. Know where you want to take them in terms of your process. Um, and have that answer for them. Be sure that you do have a solution. And here's the other piece. If you don't have the solution, if you, if you can't bring meaningful value to them, as a client, then understand that that's okay. <laughs> understand that your product and solution is not going to be a fit 100% of the time, no matter how good it is. If you'll understand that and understand that you have the answer for the right people and accept that that's not everybody, you'll be all right. So use these strategies to keep everything in perspective to maintain a level of comfort when you're going through the sales process. Next, you want to be competent. You want to prepare uh, learn as much as you can about the prospective client within reason, right? Know your stuff, know your products, know your solutions, know your sales process, know what's coming next. Plan for the questions that are the most common. Plan for objections that you might get, preempt objections you might get. We'll talk more about that in a second. Come with your collateral. If there are different tools or assets that would be beneficial to you to help demonstrate your knowledge and your skill to the prospect, to demonstrate a level of competence, bring those with you and follow your process. Have a process and follow it. Don't wing it. <laughs> Some of you are very, very talented at winging it, and you can get through winging it. I will tell you, your results will double, triple, quadruple, quintuple when you start to have a reliable process and you follow it as opposed to just winging it. Take it from someone who knows. <laughs> uh, in the past, um, uh, long ago, I used to step into meetings and just wing it, and I would get through, and I, I did okay. But when I started having a process that I followed, that I referred to, that kept me in alignment with what I wanted to achieve, then I was able to multiply my results. Competency is simply a question of study and practice. It's simply a question of knowledge and expertise. And expertise comes from experience and knowledge comes from learning. So make sure you've learned what you can and make sure you have role played as you need to to prepare for that meeting. Finally, be clear. 
Remember, we talked about a confused mind doesn't take action. A confused or uncertain mind does not engage. And so if you sense a level of confusion from the prospect, point that out and say, I'm getting the sense that that maybe something I said wasn't clear or that there's some, um, you know, a lack of, there's some level of confusion or uncertainty around something I've talked about. Let's go through that. So don't let a prospect leave the meeting or move on to another point if you perceive that they're truly confused about something. Be as concise as you can. And this is, this is difficult for me. I like to use words. <laughs> I like to communicate. But be as concise as you can. If, if a prospect asks you a direct question, you can always qualify it later, but answer it as directly as you can initially. Then if you need to go back and qualify it, you can. Integrate structure into your conversation. Again, this is where the agenda comes in. This is where knowing where you want to go next comes in. Um, integrate as much structure as you can. That will help you be clearer in terms of your objectives and your conversation with the prospect. Communicate the next specific step. So one of the reasons why a sales uh, prospect does not continue through a sales process is because there's no clarity around the process even existing or that there is a next step. So don't leave it to the prospect to try to figure out what the next step of the process is. Let them know in advance and let them know what the conditions are for you all taking that next step together. Finally, keep things simple. Um, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. One of my favorite Leonardo da Vinci quotes, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. It's not knowing what to include in your presentation or in your conversation. It's knowing what to exclude that is so valuable. Keep your conversation simple and to the point. The reality is, is that your prospects are probably looking for a relatively simple and direct result or outcome. Your job is to simply to draw a line and to show them the connection between your products and services and the results and outcomes they want to achieve. The clearer that line is, the more likely they are to move through the sales process with you. Let's talk about one of my favorite um, sales models. And this is something I developed a number of years ago called the KOR model for objections. This is about how to handle an objection. Now, as a rule, I am a huge fan of preempting an objection before it can be raised by a prospect. In other words, I'm a huge fan of you as the educator, the consultant and advisor, raising the most common objections in advance, bringing them up against your own, own product solution and self, bringing them up first before the client has the opportunity to bring them up. The reason that's important, and this is worth writing down, if you can preempt an objection, say it another way, if you can articulate an objection before the prospect does, then it is rarely an issue. It's rarely a challenge. It's rarely a point of resistance. So if you can articulate an objection before the prospect does, then the objection is usually a non-issue. Why is that? The reason is, is because you're acknowledging the objection in advance. And because you're acknowledging it, the prospect will assume that you have an answer to it. And so therefore it's not an, not an issue. Now you do need to have, <laughs> you do need to have an answer to that objection. <clears throat> but if you bring it up, they have to accept it. So you want to preempt 
the proper objections, the most common objections, the best you are able. For those that you don't preempt, we're going to use a model inspired by a Japanese idea called Kuzushi to unbalance an opponent in Japanese martial arts, but we're going to use it to take the energy that we get from an, an objection, alter it, and give it back to the prospect. In other words, we're going to take their excuses for not moving forward and turn them into reasons for moving forward. Now, this is easier said than done. Certain objections are very easy to do this. The uh, classic example is, you know, um, I, 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 I don't have enough money to do this. I, I can't afford to do this. And the classic objection response is, you can't afford not to do this. Well, it's so common now that it's cliche. You need a better answer for that. But that's an example of a Kazushi type of response, right? We want to be more sophisticated and elegant than a cliched answer, but that's the idea. So let's talk about what this process looks like. This is a, a direct process. It's a simple process. And the more you practice it, the more natural it becomes. Uh, I can do this relatively naturally now without having to spend a lot of time thinking about it just because it's it's part of who I am now in terms of how I communicate, how I consult, and how I sell. But um, it's not, it hasn't always been that way. It's been learned, it's been practiced. And so you need to learn and practice it as well. The system or the, the yeah, the system is very simple. It's a four-step approach. The first step is acknowledge. Step two, accept. Step three, alter. Step four, ask. Let's break those down. So step one is simply acknowledging the objection in the first place. So you want to listen to and actually hear the prospect, actually understand and assimilate and internalize what they're saying to you. The reason you want to do that is so that you can articulate their specific concerns. In other words, they may say one thing, but what they're really trying to communicate is something similar, but something else. So if, if they're tentative about, you know, I'm not sure about the time commitment related to this, then what you're going to articulate back to them or what you're going to acknowledge is what I'm hearing you say, Mr. and Mrs. Prospect, is that with everything else going on and all the other priorities that you have, you're not sure that this warrants being high or up on, the pri on your priority list right now. Is that right? So it's not a question of having time. Notice what I did. It's not a question of having time. I cited their specific concern. It's not, do they have time to do this? Their concern is not about time. Their concern is about priority. So I articulated their objection back to them that related to their specific concerns. The point is you don't want to merely deflect from their objection and answer another question. This is not about being a professional politician. It's not about getting asked question A and answering question B. You want to answer their question directly. In fact, the more directly you can address the objection, the better result you're going to have. The more directly you can acknowledge the objection, the better result you're going to have. So acknowledgement is simply about listening to their objection, understanding it, and sharing it back to them. Step two is about accepting the objection. So it's one thing to acknowledge it. I hear what you're saying. It's another thing to accept it or to agree with it. So you're basically going to, an agreement is not the same thing, or acceptance is not the same thing as agreement. You don't inherently have to agree with the objection, but you are going to accept it. You're not going to devalue it or diminish it or push it away from the prospect, right? You're not going to say, oh, no, you're wrong. You're going to accept it. So before you can deal with it, 
authentically, successfully, you do have to accept it. And the, again, the more directly you speak to their question, the more likely you are to move beyond it. Step three is where the rubber meets the road. It's where you alter their perception of their objection. So basically what you're doing is you're pivoting the objection 180 degrees. You're taking their excuse and you're either, you know, uh, able to uh, explain away why it's not critical or you're able to turn the excuse into a reason. So you've met them where they are. Now you're going to pivot to the reason why that issue is actually advantageous for them. So you're going to, uh, in terms of the example I gave a second ago about having enough time and the issue being priority, what you would, what you would get to is this idea that, you know what, um, our solution in terms of you not having enough time or you have a higher priority things, what's great about our solution is our solution actually frees up time so that you have more time to take on additional, more important priorities like what we're talking about now. It's a very elementary example of what we're talking about, but it gives you the idea. The idea of step three is to alter where they are and pivot to the reason why their objection or their issue is again, good for them. And you may have to give them new knowledge or new belief to that end. Again, step three is the crux of this whole process. Step four is asking. And so all, we're, all we mean is we're asking them to agree with our assessment of their objection. We're asking them to agree with our, our alteration to their objection. And it's important that they agree. It's important that they confirm that, that, that what you said makes sense. Because if it doesn't, then it's still an objection. It's still a point of resistance. If they do agree and confirm that they agree with your assessment of their objection, then you can move beyond it. But if they don't, you've got more education to do. So let's look at this um, in a, a real-world example. Let's assume that the prospect objection is, you know, we're a large organization. You know, we're we're big and bold and we're we're big. So, you know, we're we're a big organization. We need to work with other big organizations. So I'm not sure your smaller firm would be the right fit for us. I'm not sure if you have the capacity to really support our needs and what we're looking for. It's a very common objection by larger organizations who are, who are speaking to, you know, boutique firms or smaller consulting firms or smaller advisors or even solopreneurs. But here's the reality. Here's the truth. The truth is that large organizations hire and work with small organizations all the time. Large organizations work with individuals and pay individuals as consultants and advisors all the time. So we know that from an objective standpoint, this objection doesn't hold water. Now, what may be true is that your firm is not a fit for this prospect. That could be true. But what's not necessarily true is that you're not a fit because you're small. So let's look at the Kazushi response to this objection. Now, there's lots of ways that you can use the Kazushi response to deal with this objection. What I'm going to show you is just one way. And so you can see there on the screen. You know, Mr. Prospect, that's an excellent point. One we hear, uh, we've heard a lot from our clients before we even started working with them. The reality is I'm not sure we're the best fit either, at least not yet. Like you, we're very selective with who we work with and for the exact reason you point out. Uh, that's why we won't accept a client if we're not certain we can provide superior results for them because there's only so many clients that we can work with and support. So now here's the alter uh, and ask sections of this response. Uh, 
Fortunately, uh, because of our network of partners and who we work with, the work we do is not dependent upon our organization being large in and of itself. Therefore, we're still able to provide you the high touch level of direct service that a smaller firm would provide while still giving you all the resources and capacity you need and would expect from a larger firm. Does that make sense to you? So you see what we did. We were able to take the objection. We're a big firm. We want to work with a big firm. We're not sure you can support us. We were able to acknowledge what they said, not just diminish it or throw it away. Acknowledge what they said, accept what they said, alter what they said. So we're actually explaining to them why us being small is not an issue. In fact, it's to their advantage that we're small because now they're not just a number. They're not just a number. They're not just another client. They're one of our only clients. They're one of our few clients. They're one of our top level clients. So we able to provide them high touch level service while still giving them what they need in terms of capacity and resources. And then finally, we ask, does that make sense to you? Or do you see how that would work? Right now, if they say, yeah, I guess I get that, then we can move on. If they say, well, no, I have, you know, what about, and they'll ask another specific example, and then you address it again. And the more real world examples you can give from your own work, the better, right? If you can share a success story or a case study, all the better. The point is, this is the way to deal with an objection like that. Here are other objections. You know, we, we love our current broker. If you happen to be competing in a broker space or an advisor or consultant space, uh, you know, why don't we know about this already? If you're bringing us new information, then then why hasn't our current person told us about it? That, you know, we're working with somebody already and uh, they're good. And so I'm sure if what you're saying is true, then, then we would already know about it. What if they just say, I don't believe you. I don't think you can get the results you say you can, <laughs> all right? Or what about we're happy with our current situation? We don't want to change. We're happy with our status quo situation. So these are common objections. There are a lot of other objections, right? Based on your specific solutions or services or products that you offer. And so you want to consider the different objections that would be in your objection inventory, so to speak. And then you want to craft Kazushi responses to each of them. Now, I won't read all these to you. Uh, let's go to... Uh, Let's go to this one. Um, I'll provide the deck to you here as well, so you'll have it, but let's go to this one. I don't believe you, or I don't believe it. Uh, this is a, a too good to be true type of objection, right? It's too good to be true, I don't believe it. So here's a Kazushi response. You know, Mr. or Mrs. Prospect, that's a completely understandable and fair reaction. Honestly, having been a transactional broker for a while myself, or having been a broker for a while myself, when I first started researching this approach and learning more, I couldn't quite believe it either. Okay, so understand what we've done there. I'm out of role play. We've acknowledged the objection. We've even said it's understandable and fair. Then we've accepted it. You know, when I first saw this, I, I didn't quite believe it either. And so now we're going to alter it. So when I started seeing the real world results and really digging into the why and how of this, I realized just how self-defeating the healthcare game has been for employers for way too long. So this is an example of a healthcare advisor talking to an employer. Um, and I, I've seen how it's been self-defeating. Uh, the game has been working against employers for way too long. Would you be open to seeing the why and how behind this approach? So understand what we did. The alteration was, um, I, you know, the acceptance was I couldn't quite believe it either. But when I started looking into it, I realized why and how this works. Would you be open to seeing that? If they say yes, you've moved past the objection. Now it's just a matter of educating them on the why and the how. If they say no, 
Well, they weren't interested in the first place because your, your question is very, very reasonable. Uh, if they're happy with their current situation, you know, I understand. And if that's the case, then that's great. So we, ex we acknowledge the objection. Number two, I have no interest in helping you fix something if it isn't broken. That's not a good use of my or your time. We accept the objection. Number three, to that end. Now, understand what that phrase does. To that end. To that end reverses everything. We've taken their objection and now their excuse, and now we're using it as a reason, which is three words. To that end, our process is designed to look at specific benchmarks for you and determine if or what opportunities you would have to maximize your current situation. Sometimes we don't find anything meaningful uh, for, the, for our clients to worry about. Um, but when we go through this process, if we don't, we'll be the first ones to let you know. It's, it's up to you. Do you have any issue going through the benchmarking process to see where you stand? So understand what we've done. We've said, I'm not interested in helping fix something that's not broken. That's not a good use of my or your time. So let's find out. That's what we said. To that end, our process is designed to look at specific benchmarks. So let's find out if, if this is broken or not. So we're not dismissing their objection. We're acknowledging it, accepting it, altering it, and then asking them to take the next step forward. Again, I'm going to provide the deck to you so you'll be able to go back and look at this language. Um, right now, I want to move into uh, frictionless sales talk tracks. And this is uh, based on a, a very simple sales model um, that follows uh, meeting one, meeting two, and then uh, an education session, and then an engagement. So this is sort of a four-step um, a four-step sales process, and we're going to look at the sales talk tracks really quickly. Feel free to adapt them to your sales process. They may not all apply to you, but I'll walk you through each one very, very briefly. So the explanatory conversation. I think I mentioned um, this specific um, talk track when I was describing uh, uh, an element from earlier in the presentation. This is what this is the one I use uh, in terms of setting the expectation for a new prospective client. You know, I'm glad we had the chance to talk today. This is the first step of our process, and it's just a sort, it's kind of a short assessment process to determine if it makes sense to move into a more in-depth, meaningful conversation. Basically, we're going to explore if our ability to provide value overlaps with your company's problems, challenges, or opportunities. And if there is an overlap, we can move to the next phase of our process, which again, is a more in-depth and detailed evaluation. If not, we'll part as friends having expanded our network. For now, though, let's just talk through this quick uh, benchmarking assessment, and then I can put together a report. We can go through it together to determine if it makes sense for our next conversation. Fair enough? And so that's the, es <clears throat> Excuse me. that's the essence of that first conversation with a prospective client. Again, if your process doesn't match up perfectly with this, then adapt this appropriately. The idea that I want you to take away from this talk track in particular, though, is setting the expectation for what the first conversation is about, being very clear in terms of what the next step is about, assuming you get through step one, and controlling the process, controlling the conversation, you leading the way. This is not um, an opportunity for the prospect to interrogate you. Now, if they have questions that come up, then address them, answer them, or defer them to later in the process when they're more appropriate. But um, this is not an opportunity for you to give the floor to the prospect just to let them talk or ask you random questions that 
aren't appropriate to ask yet. Remember, you're the advisor, you're the consultant, you're the one with the expertise. The prospect is the one with a potential need. So who should be leading that conversation? You should be leading it. Probably you, the one that should be asking the conversations. In terms of the second talk track, the evaluative talk track, a model that I teach all the time is once you've had that first conversation, it's time to move into an in-depth detailed analysis for that prospective client. And I teach uh, sort of selling that initial evaluation, that first evaluation as a first step sell, right? So not selling a big project or big consulting agreement, but just selling that initial detailed analysis or evaluation first at a lower cost. And that allows both parties to get used to working with each other um, and determine if it makes sense to work together. Plus, you're going to have to evaluate their specific needs anyway to determine what the size and scope of the opportunity to work with them is in a, in a larger in a larger sense. So that's what this talk track is about. Um, you know, based on our conversation, it seems clear that there is certainly an overlap between your opportunities and our values. So I would recommend we take the next step of our process, which is an in-depth, detailed analysis. I think that'd be worthwhile for you and your company. W would you agree? And if they don't, or if they have questions, you address those. If they do, yeah, that's interesting. Tell me more. Great. Here's how the evaluation prospect or process works. We'll conduct a detailed analysis of some of the key areas of your organization, and then we'll meet with you and your key, key team members to present our specific findings and, and recommended strategies. Does that make sense to you? Great. Here are the rest of the details. Naturally, an evaluation process like this does require an investment, albeit a minimal one. The investment is X dollars for the entire process. And of course, we'll gladly sign a mutual NDA to protect any sensitive information. So in this part of the talk track, everybody, um, if you don't want to charge for your evaluation, then you don't have to talk about the cost of the evaluation. You can just offer it at no cost. What I would at least recommend, though, is that you assign a value to your evaluation, even if you're going to waive the cost, but assign a value to it and then waive it and give a reason for waiving it. You know, um, you know, uh, right now, uh, the cost of this is $2,500, but we're waiving it for people in your industry because we're trying to expand our business into your industry more, right? Could be any kind of justification for waiving the cost, but assigning value to it establishes value in your time and effort. Of course, what I'd really recommend is that you do charge for your evaluation. Um, and then on the next screen, you'll see how we frame up this offer that makes it very difficult for a prospect to say no. So let's continue the talk track. You know, there are three possible outcomes, Mr. and Mrs. Prospect. Um, one, you receive meaningful value from our analysis and you end up with a blueprint on how you can effectively move forward. That's, that's one. Number two, you receive meaningful value and you make the decision to engage with our firm further to, to guide and work with you and implement the strategies that we will recommend. In, in that case, what we'll actually do is credit the investment of the evaluation toward our ongoing work with you. So it's like you got the evaluation at no cost. There is a third outcome. Uh, this has never happened and I don't expect it to happen, but if for some reason you don't receive adequate value from the evaluation process, we just refund your entire investment. So there's no risk, and at the very least, you'll end up with our best thinking and strategic recommendations on how to overcome your problems and challenges. Is that fair? Now, this talk track is incredibly powerful, and I use it all the time. Um, and the vast majority of people who get to this point in my process will convert to going through this evaluation process. How can they not? It's a guaranteed 
uh, service that they're going to get tremendous value from. And if they don't, again, it's guaranteed. They get their money back. Plus, if they decide to work with me, I credit it to that project. It's an incredibly compelling offering and a very easy first step for most prospects to take. Now, at this point, we're at the third step of our sales process. We have done the initial conversation. We've gone through the valuation. Now we're going to present to them our report, our findings, our analysis based on the evaluation that we did. I call this the educational conversation. So it might go something like this. Hey, today we're really excited to share with you some key insights and strategies and specific uh, recommendations that we discovered. And we're confident they're going to help your company achieve your objectives. You know, our presentation is going to articulate the key challenges and objectives that we've talked about and then reveal some several, uh, reveal several enlightening and valuable findings. And then we're going to provide you a general roadmap to help you get from where you are to where you want to want to be and where you need to be. The goal of the presentation is to make sure you have clarity and certainty about where you are and how to address some of those key issues. At the end of our presentation, we'll share with you some ways that we could potentially engage with you to help you implement the strategies and solutions we're talking about here. Um, and after we go through the report uh, and how your challenges can be overcome, it'll be clear if and how we should move forward together. So that talk track sets the tone for the rest of that presentation. It establishes the fact that you're going to present them what you found out. You're going to give them a general roadmap. And at the end of the time, you'll share with them how they can engage with you. And it'll be clear uh, if and how they should move forward. By saying that, by saying it'll be clear if and how we should move forward, you're letting them know that there's going to be a decision that they have to make at the end of the presentation. So you're managing those expectations. Finally, uh, you say this or something to this effect. While we do have a lot of information to go through, um, we do... Uh, we do want the session to be like our best client relationships. That is a dialogue, not a monologue. So we'll stop periodically to ask questions, ensure that you guys are following along and that there's clarity in terms of all the recommend, uh, recommended approaches we're giving. With that, let's jump in. So again, you're just establishing the nature of how you want to present the conversation in terms of delivering this analysis that is the second half of the evaluation that you did earlier. Finally, the fourth part, the fourth talk track we're going to look at, the final talk track we're going to look at is the engagement conversation. So we've had our initial conversation. They've bought an evaluation from us. We've presented findings. And now we're going to present them our recommended engagement options on how we can help their company. So it might go something like this. You know, naturally, each of the recommended engagement options that we've talked about uh, already will help you address the challenges and help you create valuable outcomes for your company. While we will provide a detailed proposal agreement that outlines some of the key information we've gone over here so you can determine how to best proceed, which of the engagement options that we just went over do you believe will be the most effective for your company and what questions do you have? So we open the question to the team. We open the question to our prospect or our prospects if it's multiple people. We want to have that conversation. We want them to tell us, oh, we don't think any of your stuff's good. Okay, great. That saves us a lot of time. <laughs> or we want them to tell us, you know, you talked about option A, B, and C. We weren't really interested in option A. That's not enough. But we're, we're trying to determine if option B or C is better for us. Okay, great. Which parts of option B or C are you trying to determine if you need or not? All right, and we answer those questions objectively. Remember, your job as a consultant and an advisor, first and foremost, is to improve the condition of the organization that you're working with. 
I would argue, whether they are a prospect or a client. Your job as a consultant and advisor is to improve their condition. It's to contribute value to them. So understand, at this point, they're already a client. They bought the evaluation from you. You're presenting findings. You want to answer the questions objectively, transparently. If they truly don't need option C, you, you, you gave it to them as an option. Maybe they want it. But if they truly don't need it, then tell them that. Listen, Mr. and Mrs. Prospect, I think option B will serve your purposes. Option C gives you a few more bells and whistles, and that might save you some time. But in terms of option C, it's really a question of desire and want as opposed to need. You need option B. You may want option C. I think that's really where you got to come down on your decision. Be objective like that. Be transparent. Prospects respond to that. They appreciate that. Uh, once they've, once you've had that conversation, you've talked about which options in terms of engagement that that, that uh, prospect is considering, then you've got clarity. They, they've effectively agreed to your engagement. So what you want to say is, again, we'll send over a detailed proposal agreement and it'll outline much of this report. We'll include those engagement options we talked about. Uh, then you can simply decide finally, uh, finalize which option makes the most sense for you and your company and return the agreement. Of course, if you have other questions, just let us know. Does that work for you and your team? And they say yes, no, and you're, you're off to the races. If you will follow this sales process, and again, you may need to adapt it to your market, or you may need to adapt it to your products and services or to your solutions. You may need to adapt some of the language so that it's more comfortable for you and so that you're more competent with it. But if you'll practice this approach and get used to the sales process and the model, this becomes very easy and the sales process becomes very, very low pressure and very simple. Um, I almost say the word easy. I'm not trying to suggest that that selling, that a complex consultative sales process is easy, but this modeling and this structure should make it easier for you. I hope it does anyway. And so that's it for now. Again, this is uh, Scott Cantrell for Smart Solutions Media. I hope that these secrets of frictionless selling will serve you very, very well. And I'll look forward to hearing your next success story. Thank you for listening. I hope you got a ton of value out of this episode. And before we go, I want to thank the sponsor of our show, Smart Solutions Media. Smart Solutions Media empowers business owners, consultants, and other independent professionals to easily attract better prospects and transform them into long-term clients. If you're a B2B consultant or service professional and would like to start filling your pipeline with better quality prospects, visit us on the web at smartsolutionsmedia.com to learn more about what we can do to help you. Be sure to complete this short two-minute accelerated growth scorecard you can find on the website and you'll receive a complimentary strategy session where we'll give you specific insights and recommendations to help you attract high-value clients. Until next time, make sure you are consulting with authority.